Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you over EWTN Radio. We're broadcasting from the Coming Home Network International Studios in Central Ohio. Thank you for joining us. This program is designed to take some time out of our day to invite a guest to join us to discuss a favorite scripture or maybe a scripture that uh, was a surprise to them. Uh, maybe it was a scripture that that uh, they didn't know was in the Bible. Maybe they didn't think it should be in the Bible. <laughs> Sometimes that's the case because it's so confronting to them. It's often the case. And uh, I will also say that usually the guests that I have here on Deep in Scripture have already appeared with me on the Journey Home program on EWTN. So if you want to know more about any of the guests on Deep in Scripture, check the EWTN.com website for the Journey Home program and see if their name shows up. And you can hear their whole, uh, the details of their journey into the faith. One of the goals of this particular program is recognizing that to be deep in our Lord Jesus Christ means being deep in his word, the entire word. And we recognize that to truly understand the intent of the inspired scriptures, we need to be listening to the teacher through which we receive those scriptures, which is the church. As St. Paul said, that the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. I mention that right now because that verse is going to come up, I'm quite sure, in our discussion today. Our guest today is Tom Peterson. Now, some of you may know Tom. He's appeared on EWTN. He's particularly well-known because he is the founder and president of Catholics Come Home Incorporated and Virtue Media Incorporated. You may have seen the commercials that this apostolate has produced for television, particularly for secular television, and it's bringing the truth of the Catholic faith into the homes of those that are watching regular television. Now, Mr. Peterson has over 25 years of experience as an award-winning and record-setting national corporate advertising executive and entrepreneur. And his focus was business for many years. And as he shares in his own journey of faith, that often, and to a certain extent, his commitment to his work drew him away from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ until our Lord in his mercy brought him back home. His prior marketing, advertising, and management experience includes American Hospital Supply Corporation, Thomas Publishing, IDX Systems, Phoenix Medical Management, Peters Sparks Incorporated, and Peterson Advertising Corporation. So he's been very much involved with business and leadership uh, positions, management responsibility. And in the midst of that, our Lord brought him back to what was the focus of his life, what it was supposed to be, and that was him, our Lord Jesus and his church. This happened while he was on a Catholic retreat in 1997, had a pr profound reversion experience in his Catholic faith, and soon afterwards he received a vocational calling and eventually founded Catholics Come Home Incorporated and Virtue Media Incorporated, educational non-for-profit -for apostolates dedicated to promoting Catholic evangelization and the sanctity of human life. Now, Tom speaks at national Catholic conferences and pro-life events throughout the United States internationally and has presented at the Vatican and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. He's also been featured in hundreds of media outlets, including 
EWTN, and as I mentioned, the Journey Home program on EWTN Live and the Bookmark program. He's been on Fox News and on many Catholic radio stations. And Mr. Peterson and the media apostle he directs are regularly featured in our Sunday Visitor, the National Catholic Register, Legatus Magazine, Columbia Magazine, Envoy Magazine, and a number of other Catholic publications. It's great to have Tom join us on Deep in Scripture. He always, as many of our guests, sheepishly wonder whether he should be on a, a Scripture program because he doesn't see himself as a scholar, but that's not the, the point here. The point is, in what way has Scripture drawn him closer to our Lord Jesus and his church? And he's chosen as a passage for us to examine today. This is all, I always love it when we have a passage that we haven't already covered on Deep in Scripture. Often we do cover similar passages as people share in their journeys. But he chose a great passage. It's the last two verses in the epistle of James. The last two. And I'll read those, and then we'll take a break, and Tom will join us. This is James chapter 5, 19 and 20. And this is how James ends his letter. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodite's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at one 800 664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Thank you for joining us today. Before I bring Tom on, it's got a little announcement that EWTN encourages me to remind you of something. You know that Mother Angelica always wanted to reach out in every way possible to share the faith. Her vision for evangelization has now entered a new chapter with the addition of the National Catholic Register to the EWTN family. The National Catholic Register is the nation's leading Catholic newspaper, and we'd like to invite you to subscribe. There's no better way to stay informed about what's going on in the church and in the world. The Vatican, 
arts and entertainment, education, commentary, and opinion, national and global news. You can find it all in the National Catholic Register. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the National Catholic Register banner to find out how you can subscribe. And so I do want to encourage you to consider that, all of you listening. The Register has always been a fine Catholic newspaper. Right, Tom? Absolutely. And it's, uh, But you have to remember mm-hmm. that it, it just doesn't drop out of the sky. It takes <laughs> a lot of staff and a lot of publishing and printing and a lot of work, computers, you, you name it, to keep a, a publication like that going. And we don't want to in any way see it drift and become anything less than it was. In fact, we want it to be better than it ever was before. So I just wanted to remind you of that. That's EWTN.com, and then click on the National Catholic Register link. Tom, welcome to Deep in Scripture. God bless you. It's, it's good to be here, Marcus. It, it's great to have you here to uh, relax, just to uh, tell those of you listening, Tom was here in our studios. We had a chance to to uh, to tape a Journey Home program, which we'll broadcast in a couple weeks. It'll be the Monday night before Ash Wednesday. March so that, 7th. March 7th, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit in the future. But we've got him here in the studio to do deep in Scripture. Now that you're here, I want to make sure we're doing that. And... Um, just before we jump into everything, I mentioned uh, your um, your your website and your work that you're doing. Uh, Catholics come home, mm-hmm. and the 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 commercials. Just take a little bit to remind the audience about the work that you're trying to do sure. with your apostolate. CatholicsComeHome.org is the website, and we've got it in multiple languages. And in the last three years, we've aired in going on 30 different dioceses and archdioceses around the country. Uh, And over 200,000 people have come home so far as of Lent last year. And uh, we're hoping by the end of this Lent that 40 million people will have seen the ads, and hopefully that number will double to 400,000 coming home. (laughs) And uh, it's just a way to share the faith on secular television programs where people who are Catholic uh, may want to go deeper in their faith. People who are not Catholic may want to check out the Catholic Church and— most of all, the focus is on those uh, inactive brothers and sisters of ours who have drifted from the faith uh, to sh- maybe share with them what they didn't know or, or didn't think about and plant that seed and invite them back home. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. Sure. Now, let me, uh, you, you chose this passage from James. Let me read it again. It's, it's nice and short, so I can do that. It doesn't take a lot of radio time. But before we jump into it with both feet, um, I'm going to read it and then maybe in general, why you like this passage and why, with all the passages you could choose, why this one. Let me read it again. James five nineteen. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Hmm. I, I like that passage because it's not one we read very often. We don't hear it very often, but what a great promise. What great hope. Uh, And it really shows that we're in this mission together uh, to spread the good news of Jesus uh, to our friends, relatives, neighbors, co-workers, strangers we meet on the street, to the ends of the earth. And there's a a wonderful promise there. Uh, Not only will the person find the truth, but also there's there's a great promise about covering a multitude of sins and <laughs> forgiveness. It doesn't get much better than that. I, I just, it was on my heart, and I picked that one, Marcus, because our, our world has really um, 
uh, been distracted, huh? We've been distracted from, from God in many cases. Secularism has taken over and also been distracted from the truths of, this, of the Catholic Church. I mean, when was the last time you heard something good said about Catholicism by the secular media? You know, and, and we find that when we buy our way into secular television and put the truth out there in CatholicsComeHome.org ads, people's lives are changed, their hearts open, good things happen. It uh, helps uh, make us prouder of our Catholic faith. So I think by sharing that truth with others, good things happen. All right. Well, as we jump into this passage, uh, which is a strong encouragement that parallels what our present Holy Father and with Pope John Paul II and really all the popes and the magisterium of the last hundred so years have been trying to encourage Catholics to do, and that is to evangelize. Yeah, the new evangelization, ushering in that new springtime of hope that will change the world for the better. And uh, how much we need that now, huh? Well, if we look historically at pockets of the world that at one time were shining lights mm. of the faith, Ireland, mm. Quebec, France, oh, yeah. other places that we can, Holland, yes. you know, at, at, these, at one time that their names were synonymous with Catholicity. With okay. Catholicity, mm. and yet, what's happened? Italy. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you think of what Francis de Sales did. I mean, he beautiful work he did in, in France, you know, a couple hundred years yeah. ago. Beautiful. And, and you right. say, man, you hate, to, you hate to see it go to waste? I mean, have they forgotten? Yeah, you know? and, and there might be lots and lots of reasons mm. that these different pockets of the world mm. have, have left, but at least one of the reasons, I'm wondering and this connects with the work that you do, is that people take for granted mm. the truth that they have. And when they pass it on down to their children or they pass it horizontally to family and friends, yes. that they presume mm. too much. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you as, as a convert to the faith, somebody who chose Catholicism, and I think about all the other folks on your shows and people you've talked to. You made a conscious choice to enter the church and learn what we teach. I, as a cradle Catholic, and so many of us take our faith for granted, and we figure, okay, we're Catholic, now what? You know, and, and unfortunately, um, that has been kind of a sad point, that it's through the passion of, of the good converts into the faith and a couple of faithful cradle Catholics, that our faith continues and blossoms so extremely well. But unfortunately, I and so many others have dropped the ball years ago and in, in not taking this wonderful jewel of a faith we have and, and the fullness and goodness and beauty of our faith and sharing it with others. We've forgotten the history of our church and the accomplishments and uh, how much our Catholic family has done through the guidance of the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years. Well, I'm, uh, you pick this passage, and I'm going to push you on it. Mm. Push you a little bit, which is fun. You know, I, I love scripture. <laughs> fun for you. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine. But the reason I want to push you on a couple things, mm. which is going to, I think, uh, I'm pushing you into talking about what you believe so deeply in, which is evangelization. But let's take just the opening of this passage, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, the different translations do this differently. And... The, the one that was printed out for me, I'm not sure which translation it was, uh, my brothers and sisters, it begins. All right. However, 
if you look at the Revised Standard Version and you look at even the New American Bible Version, it starts out, my brethren. Hmm. And there was a point there. In Scripture, we have to be careful when we bring the Greek into the English, remembering the culture. And so, yes, indeed, there are times when the author was writing in general to folk. And when he's writing in general to folk, then that's brothers and sisters. But there are also times when you recognize the context of a letter was written from a bishop to a bishop or from a bishop to priests with not the intention that this was just going to be copies made because they didn't have Xerox machines. And my point being that at the beginning of this passage, when he says, my brethren, we need to realize that what he was originally addressing here were the leaders. So not the general public, you're saying. And I think there's a point there. Yes. And we're talking about the vision of evangelization. Yes. Who was James trying to light a fire under? The shepherds. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. You know, and uh, obviously, you know, those of us who are in apostolic work, uh, that's a vocational calling too. But you're right. Uh, if the shepherd isn't fed, uh, then the sheep don't get fed. And... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's um, on Holy Thursday last year, we started a little spinoff apostolate called EncouragePriest.org. And part of the reason we did that was um, to pray for our priests, offer spiritual bouquets for the bishops. And this ties in really well that when when the bishops are on track and they're fed and they're healthy in the word and the sacraments and they share that with us, the congregations are healthy. It reminds me of that uh, famous classic book. You probably read it years ago. I just read it, uh, Soul of the Apostles oh, by yeah. Chatard. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a certain a section in there where it says that if the, the, the priest is holy, the congregation will thrive. And it goes down kind of the, the pecking order. And at the end, it says, you know, if, the, if the, the priest is mediocre, the congregation will be lost. So in some ways, that's really, you know, sharing the same thing as your insight into this first line, that um, the stronger the shepherds are, the stronger the sheep, stronger the congregations follow and share yeah. the good news. I mean, when we go down a little bit farther, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. See, he's speaking to the leaders. But when you look at the context there, he's not assuming that the responsibility for evangelization stops with them. Right. It's not, it's not only when you bring them back, it's when someone. In other words, the responsibility of the evangelization to reaching out is everyone's responsibility. But the, the vision of that the leadership, the inspiration, the as it says in Ephesians 4, the work of the apostles for the equipping of the laity for the work of the ministry. Yes. And, and there the, the evangelization ministry spreads out. You're reminding me of an analogy of my uh, my kids when they, they correct me and say, well, Dad, don't you mean such and such? And I say, wow, <laughs> you know, praise God for my kids who are so strong in their faith that they'll they'll remind Dad when, hey, you're you know, you're making a decision or saying something that uh, you need to think twice about. And, and in some ways, maybe the laity then can, can share the truth or thoughts with, with other leaders in the church. So we're all in this together. We're one big Catholic family, huh? Yeah, well, the, um, we can't have one of my favorite pictures from the Internet. Hmm. Uh, it shows the end result of the men who paint the yellow stripe down the middle of the road. And what you see is that they, whatever group did it painted right over a dead possum. 
So it shows right in the middle of the road, a dead possum laying there. And here comes the yellow line. It just goes right straight over the opossum and keeps going on. And the, and the caption under is, not my job. No. <laughs> okay. Well, the point is, just because James is talking directly to the leaders, mm-hmm. he's not la- letting laity off the, you know, to say it's not my job to evangelize. Right. No, 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 no. Every single one of us has a responsibility of the Great Commission. Yes. And so when we look at what happened in these great pockets of the world where the faith has been lost, what did I hear recently in Ireland, the percentage of of actually practicing Catholics That's extremely low. is down to 10 or 15%. Yes. Yeah, even in our own country, Boston, it's like 17 or 18%. You know, God bless Cardinal Sean O'Malley and his team. They're they're inviting Catholics to come home there to, to help solve that. But in our own country, seventeen or eighteen percent practice rate. Around the world, seventy percent of the one point two billion baptized Catholics don't practice our Catholic faith. And it, it may be true that the shepherds in those countries it's possible that they didn't uh, put a fire on the laity enough to get the laity to go out and evangelize. Maybe. But we can't point any fingers. Right. Everyone who has the faith has something to give away. And we're going to have to answer for what we did or didn't do, the sins of omission and commission, when we're in front of our Lord, not what others around us did or didn't do, huh? <laughs> yeah. Now, we're going to take a break in a second, but I just want to just give you a heads up, Tom, because when we come back, I want us to focus on what I consider one of the most controversial parts of this passage. Okay. It's that when he says, if one of you should wander from the truth, Hmm. the question is, how do you define whether someone has wandered from the truth? It's like that movie, What is Truth? Okay, well, we'll we'll get back to that after our break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host, joined today by Tom Peterson. And you're hearing us on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled, Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody. We're joined today by Tom Peterson. We're looking at James 5.19. And before I read that, I just want to remind you that this program is connected to a website, If you go to chnetwork.org, that's the Coming Home Network website. You find out everything that Coming Home Network does. But there, there's a link to Deep in Scripture Radio. 
you link on that, you'll get all the archive programs and a bunch of things. But also, you could watch us sitting here in our studio live. So <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, we, we invite you to do that and let us know by email of whether this program is an encouragement to you. Today we're looking at James 5.19. Let me read that again, my brothers and sisters. If any, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring you bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now in these two verses, I'm suggesting that since the Psalms, Hebrew poetry was so central to all of Jewish and Christian thinking and worship, mm -hmm. that that the, the, the poetry influenced their thinking. I mean, that's, that's what they were bred on. Agreed. That's what they remember. Mm -hmm. And one of the the keys of of Hebrew poetry of the Psalms are the use of parallelisms to say the same thing but two different ways. So one verse would say, "Yea, it's morning." The next verse would say, "The sun rose." To make sure it sinks in, it's saying the same thing mm -hmm. two different ways twice. Right. Um, and you'll see that over and over in Scripture. Sometimes they use negatives, you know, to um, again emphasize it. So when I look at two verses here. Mm -hmm. I see two parallel things that mean the same thing. One is, if a person should wander from the truth, and that's parallel to a sinner mm. who's been caught up in the error of their ways. Right. They're saying the same thing two different ways. Wandering from the truth, wandering into sin. You're off the path that God's put before you. Either way, yeah, you're, it, you're off the safe, true, straight path, right? The so narrow path. If you're, and you, you could argue and study them separately. You could be mm -hmm. apart from the truth and yet still walk on a, a, the the straight and the narrow, right? But in the context, he is saying, if anyone should wander from the truth and some someone bring them person back, remember this: whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways. Well, the parallel is he's talking about the same thing. Leaving the truth is. Sin. sin. You're turning your back on God mm -hmm. and on His plan. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're you're coming up with your own way or your own path. You're making okay. you're making new paths for yourself. And with that idea, and that's why this is a bit controversial, mm. is that how you define what is truth, and how you know truth, and how you stay in the truth, affects how you understand sin. Right. If you redefine truth, water it down, cut out nece necessary things, you're watering down and narrowing down what is sin. And and maybe the culpability, if depending on who's buying it, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be that a person is invincibly ignorant. I mean, they were taught one thing and right. they live by that. So that's, And they'll be judged by that. Huh? Exactly. That's yeah. not our job. Yeah. We leave that yeah. up to God. But let me ask you this then, okay? To me, the controversy: How do you, if you, if we want to make sure people don't wander from the right. truth, well, how do we know what's true? Well, I don't think uh, doing an opinion poll is the right answer. I could be wrong, but I don't <laughs> think it is. Um, you ever uh, seen that little cartoon? I'm sure you have. Mm -hmm. It was a little cartoon strip where a lady was being asked in a survey yeah. 
her her opinion on this survey. And she said, <laughs> "Well, I haven't read the survey yet." Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Oh, and 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 how the news does that so many times today? They vote on what's good, you know. Um, I, I I love the scripture we talked about uh, when we were uh, doing the te- television program today about uh, I think it's First Timothy three fifteen. The church is the pillar and bulk worth of truth. Boy, that takes the pressure off of us, huh? We don't have to have, you know, 200 million people arguing what's the truth. In my world, the truth is this, but in your world, the truth is that. You know, all the moral relativism of the world. Uh, Jesus formed a church. He said, Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. He gave him the keys. What you bind, you bind. What loose, you loose. It was so much easier following one authority (laughs) given to us by by Jesus himself. huh? It's like, you know, he gave the, uh, you know, hey, I'm giving the keys uh, you drive the car, and we all sit in the passenger seat and say, hey, you know which way you're driving. You know the path. But, Tom, now wait a second here. I have in front of me <laughs> the Bible. It is the inspired, infallible, perspicuous word of God. Amen. What do I need the church for? Uh, because the church will tell us. Like if we all read the Bible, we could come up with 15,000 different interpretations of it. But the Bible even says you, you have to hear it, huh? hear the word. Um, and it's one leg of that three-legged stool, huh, uh, about authority and so forth. So uh, it is a tool. It is God's own word, uh, but we mere mortals uh, wouldn't necessarily know how to interpret it, and uh, we have to look in the historical context. I mean, the Church of the Vatican Archives have, you know, millions and millions of historical documents, none of which contradict each other. So if we want to really know what did he mean when he wrote this, we can go back historically, think about the, you know, put on the lens of the time as, as you were doing earlier. What did, how did the, the Jews interpret it? What did the Gentiles of the time, you know, think about this? What did it mean? And all that gives us the rich, truthful path and historical perspective that we couldn't do on our own if we didn't have the church guiding us in that. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, we see St. Paul already warning people to not receive the body of the Lord unworthily. Hmm. How does he say you do that when you don't recognize the body of Christ? So there we have Paul already warning people who are abusing the reception of the Lord's Supper. And in the context of both 1 Corinthians and the early church, that's the most logical context of what's going on. In the Reformation, when we see a breaking away from two of the three legs of the the stool of truth, and and those three legs that help us know what is true is inspired, infallible scripture, sacred tradition, which recognizes that Jesus didn't just pass on a book, he passed on a deposit of faith, and thirdly, the magisterium, mm-hmm. which is the the apostolic succession of those ordained bishops in union with the Bishop of Rome, which recognize that they do not have the freedom to define new truth, that they have the responsibility to preserve and to protect and to pass on what is true. Okay, in the Reformation, mm-hmm. doubt was placed on tradition yes. and doubt was placed on the church, leaving the Bible alone. And today, I mean, if you look at this passage, if anyone should wander from the truth, 
just in Christianity itself. Mm-hmm. And any of you out there who are listening, who are Protestant ministers like I was or whatever denomination you're a part of, let me ask you this. Which Christian truth, which one, just name one, that every single Christian in the world agrees with? Mm-hmm. There isn't one doctrine, one item of truth that every Christian agrees on. You couldn't say Jesus because you have different views of who Jesus was yeah, and whether he was God or not mm-hmm. or a good teacher mm-hmm. or whether he really— Another prophet or— Yeah, or, yeah. or whether he really died or whether God mm-hmm. came into and uh, you know, accepted a human body and then mm-hmm. escaped from it before— the, you know, There's all these different views over the centuries. Right. And they exist today. Abortion. That's right. When does human life begin? No, uh-huh. Christ, it's all across the world. Well, you know what I'm reminded of is one of your guests, and he's a friend of mine, doesn't live too far, is Alan Hunt. Yep. You know, a Methodist pastor came into the church. You've had him on your show before. And he said, I used to go to these these meetings, and they would vote on what is the truth for this year. He said, I, I, I couldn't be a part of it anymore. In, in addition to, to, to realizing that, you know, he was celebrating something other than the true Eucharist, the other big deal killer for him and staying where he was was, hey, I, I, I can't vote. It can't be a popular opinion poll on what we believe in this year versus last year. Either abortion is objectively wrong or it's not, you know, and, and all the other, you know, the tenets of our faith, marriage, traditional marriage, and so forth. And he says, a committee can't decide, you know, that's God's law, and it's been the same throughout eternity, and it will never change. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a, a, a fairly well-known uh, anti-Catholic apologist. I'm not going to mention his name because he's a bit of a loose cannon anyway. Mm. But the reason I say that, I think a lot of non-Catholics will agree that where this particular anti-Catholic writer and speaker is coming from is that he's a little bit out there. But one of the reasons he's a little bit out there is that he belongs to a small, little, independent church that basically isn't only anti-Catholic, but is anti about every other Christian tradition. Right. And so from his perspective, if a person of his little church left that little church to join anything else, he would use this passage to declare that that person had wandered from the truth hmm. and was sinning because they left that little independent, individual Christian church that really has no historical connection to any other Christian church right. in the last 2,000 years. Right. And then and then you would say, well, well, who gave him the truth? You know, it's it's almost like, you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hey, I got tablets. So now my truth is right and yours is wrong. You know, it's uh, it yep. gets too complicated that way. You know, yeah. Jesus had one truth and one path. And oh, it's so much more freeing, isn't it? I also want to take a moment, though, we're, we're sitting here waxing eloquently. Uh, pointing fingers at our separated brethren, but mm-hmm. we got to look at our Catholics because yeah. there are a lot of Catholics that they want to cut the a couple inches off each sure. of the the legs of the three legged stool. That's right. And uh, you know, in, in the church, we recognize that there are three levels of truth in the church, and the first level is what would be called infallibly defined, and that's when the magisterium in union with Peter, usually as a result of battles over doctrine, mm-hmm. has to recognize what is the true teaching in the midst of all these opinions. 
Is that what they would call dogma or not necessarily? Well, that would be at the level, let's say, the Trinity. Right. That, that the church defined that in a council mm-hmm. in union with the Holy Father mm-hmm. when there were all these other opinions. Now, what's interesting is a lot of non-Catholic Christians out there that believe that the Trinity is an infallible truth. It is, mm-hmm. but they deny the authority that recognized this right. particular truth. A second level of truth would not be in the defined level, but we accept it as true. And that would, for example, be that the any teaching on the Trinity before it was defined was still true. Right. Though it hadn't been defined as the Trinity yet, because the right. church hadn't been forced to that. There's lots mm-hmm. of teachings like that. You know, like for example, I don't think the church has ever definitively defined that God is the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. We believe that to be true from a great variety of sources, including scripture, including scripture. And so in the creed. And so we don't question that. Right. Just because the church hasn't definitively defined it. But but even scripture doesn't. I don't think it doesn't have the word Trinity in there yet. We believe it. Right. And and the 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 facts about Trinity are in there. The concepts are, but the word isn't. So yeah. it, it, you do need all three legs of the stool, don't you? Yeah. A third layer, a lower level, would be called religiously or devotionally held. And this is when the church would say, "Okay, this is what you do for Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This is what you do for Lent. This is why you go to church on Sunday. It's required. There's a reason for that." And so, as Catholics, we recognize that these are all teachings of the magisterium. This is a part of the truth. As Paul said, the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. And so we recognize the authority of the magister in union with Peter. Now let me ask, this is where I'm pushing you, Tom. There are Catholics out there that say, well, the church hasn't defined that to be true, and so therefore I don't have to do it. Yeah. I just think when we start you know, playing with our own understanding, our human understanding, uh, it opens that door uh, for... Uh, the evil one to creep in, and uh, heresy and uh, falsehoods, uh, our own weak human understanding, um, polluted moral relativism, uh, all those things in Pandora's box come creeping in, like you know, rushing in when you got a bad windstorm outside, and the rain and the wind and the dust and the dirt start creeping in, and soon your whole floor is filthy. I think that's what happens. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean we shouldn't say, "Hey, why do we believe what we believe?" You know, that's that's awesome. Right. Hey, right. that that's an honest heart seeking God and wanting to know the truth. We encourage that, and the church encourages that because they, the church says, "Hey, we've got the answers to share with you. It's what Jesus taught us. We're passing it on." And, and here here's where you find that in the Catechism and the and the inspired Word of God in Scripture and so forth. But but moreover, it's more that you know I'm going to do it my way, or I don't understand why that's important. I think you know Lent's coming up. What a beautiful time for us to say, you know, so why should we bother, you know, giving up meat on Friday? Why should we bother either sacrificing something or planning to do something good during Lent? I know when I do, uh, it teaches me about sacrifice. It teaches me about dying to myself and doing it God's way instead of my own way. It's a discipline, huh? After the word disciple, it strengthens us. And the church is so wise for 2,000 years. They know how God created us and how he wired us, and they know how we react. And when we hear in the confessional, your sins are forgiven, you know, that we humans want to know. We want to hear that our sins are forgiven. I mean, God in his infinite wisdom gave us all these truths and gave us the church as this guide for that very reason, because it helps us. Yeah, up until the 1930s, every Christian tradition recognized that the use of contraception was a sin. Mm-hmm. Everyone. And so therefore, if you're in the church, you accept the teaching of the church, 
You're holding to what is true, and you're living by that. And if you broke free, if you wandered from that truth, and you, for example, you were outside of the church, you were if you outside wandered. the church. Yeah. You choose excommunication. Mm-hmm. You is, did it to yourself. Is, exactly. Yeah, you chose it for yourself. It, when 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 the Pope excommunicated, uh, I forget which one, Henry the Fourth of Germany, whatever mm-hmm. it was, and and. Well, it was because of what Henry the Fourth had did or said. He had right. made the choice, and the church is just telling them, "You have stepped out from the truth, right? And therefore, you are in sin." And the excommunication wasn't to judge and put them in hell. It was saying, "Get thee back to the church, right? Repent and come back." That's the point. But what happened in the 1930s began with the Episcopal Church at the Lambeth Conference, and then it has spread to every other denomination. Mm-hmm. Except the only Christian tradition that's held true f- fully has been. Well, I, sh- I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are other pro-life groups that are right. in line with the church. Right. But if you talk about all issues, all moral issues, and, and that's why the Catholic Church is so hated by the secular world, uh, because we defend the truth at all costs, whether it's on marriage or contraception or pro-life issue, any any issue like that, we're always defending it, and we're the lone voice at most times. You know, we have some brethren who join us on one topic or another, but for the most part, we're the we're the bullseye on the target for the secular world because the father of lies doesn't want people to know the truth. You know, when I went to seminary, I went to I consider one of the best evangelical seminaries in America, Protestant evangelical seminaries, that we were taught in our pastoral counseling classes that it was our responsibility to encourage couples to consider practicing contraception. Until they had got a handle on their marriage and on their finances, until they felt God was leading them to have children. Mm. And so for a number of years when I was a Protestant minister in premarital counseling, I encouraged the use of contraception because that's what I was taught. Right. But the point is, when you change what is true, you change what you consider as a sin. That's right. When you look at the parallel in this passage— you know, if your church doesn't teach that contraception is a sin, then you're not wandering from, quote, the truth, truth of your particular denomination. And the question is, what other things that were always true mm-hmm. have slowly been watered down until, like Isaiah warned, where you're calling what is bad good and what is good bad. Yeah, it's upside down, huh? It's upside down. Mm-hmm. And so what's sin mm. anymore? Yeah, I, I'm not as bad as the guys on TV who kill people, so I guess I'm not a sinner. I have nothing to confess. I'm just human. There are Christian traditions mm-hmm. out there that basically are all that's important is you got Jesus. Mm-hmm. You and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then you ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? And so by asking that question, you decide right. what's truth and therefore what is sin for you. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I feel that this is the long trajectory from what happened in the Reformation where it's faith only and there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation because you got it by grace anyway. And when you stand before God, you just point to Jesus. Yep. Yeah, it's it's that muddy waters, the gray area, where we we kind of blend, you know, I'm going to do it uh, the truthful right way, the way the church teaches today, and then tomorrow I'm going to do that, and it just becomes this big gray blobby mess where we're kind of deciding. And I think the more our conscience sins and we do that the more wounded and scabbed over it becomes where we don't even realize anymore that we're doing it it becomes so habitual and ingrained in those you know neuron pathways of our brain that uh, it becomes second nature for us and we've convinced ourselves that it's not uh, a sin or it's not a lie 
Well, let's take another break. I'm going to give you a heads up, Tom. The context here was wandering from the truth and bringing them back. Mm. And St. Paul said that the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. Jesus Christ and his church, his body. So when we come back, we're going to look at the second part of both these verses, bringing somebody back to the fullness. You know, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We'll look at that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Tom Peterson, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Tom Peterson. We've got about seven and a half minutes left uh, to cover about an hour's worth of material here. <laughs> I mean, just so much in this great passage. A lifetime worth. <laughs> uh, it's just so super. Uh, but let's focus now on, okay, the bringing back of people. Uh, mm bring that person back it says at the end of verse 19 after they've wandered from the truth verse 20 even more it talks about that we would save them from death Mm. and cover over a multitude of sins so there's three things kind of there though they're kind of parallel again bringing them back to the truth verse 19 and then the parallel of that is that we're saving them from death and we're covering over a multitude of sins yeah, I mean, it's so rich. There's so many layers there. Um, when I hear bringing him back, I'm thinking bring him home. We talked about that earlier, that, you know, whether it's coming home network, Catholics come home, journey home, there's a common theme that people want to be home. I mean, our hearts long for it. Why? Because God implanted that truth in our hearts. He wants us all home. He He doesn't want to lose any. You know, Jesus said, Father, you know, I, I don't want to lose any. I don't want them to be separated. I want them to be one as you and I are one. And last Sunday at Mass, I remember, too, the Scriptures talked about being perfect as my Father in Heaven is perfect, not picking and choosing. Um, But it's hard to come home if you have, you know, a bridegroom but no bride. And the church is the bride of Christ. Scripture even tells us that. So to to have both, you know, the bridegroom and the bride is really the fullness of, of, of the truth in the family. Uh, and that death, boy, that's scary. That's like eternity in hell, separation from God, death of our souls, darkness. I mean, all of those things come to mind when I hear that. And uh, how dead we feel when we haven't been to confession in a while. And, you know, sometimes, again, our, our, our souls are more calloused or our hearts are more calloused. But we know down deep that we're, we're off the track. We're off that path we talked about. And, and how refreshing it is and how freeing it is when our tears flow and we, we're back and we, we're back in a relationship with God and we feel the Holy Spirit again and we, we know the truth and we see the light and we're, we're cleansed, how pure it is. Yeah. Um, so all those things come rushing to mind when I hear those passages. Well, this is, again, one of those passages that uh, when left to private interpretation, mm. 
leads to misunderstanding. And for example, the last phrase covers over a multitude of sins is one of those passages where I would have used in the old days to um, to justify the juridical understanding of salvation. In other words, that it's Jesus's righteousness that covers over my unrighteousness so mm-hmm. that when I die and stand before God, he doesn't see me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Right. And the sad thing about that is that that's out of the context of the rest of teaching of the New Testament. Right. What you do is you take that passage as the key to everything else, and then you reinterpret everything else to fit that, which is how Luther and, and Calvin and others, because the, the context of of 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that in Christ we're a new creation. Mm-hmm. We, we are wiped clean. And when we are con- we confess our sins, the old is gone, the new has come. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just covering over, but you were changed. That's why we're saved from death. Right. Which is the reason Christ came, is to save us from death. Well, let me ask you this. When you read that, do you think about purgatory at all? And how there's there's a certain leftover jot and tittle to be paid for, if you will, and not paid for, but you know what I'm saying? Like by being on God's team and doing his will and doing his work, well, does that mitigate that at all? I wonder, yeah. you know? Yeah, if we look at purgatory, which its most clear expression is in First Corinthians 3, where it talks about a person who dies and is saved, mm-hmm. regardless of the kind of life that they build upon the grace of God. So they died in grace, right? but they look at their their life, their works, and now the reward they'll receive in heaven, and, and those of you that are, are just chafing at this, though I can imagine, because I used to chafe at the idea of rewards mm-hmm. in heaven, but that's what Scripture says. Right. The re- if, if the rewards are only salvation, then that's how you interpret Scripture to mean you earn your salvation, but that's not what no. it's talking about. No. You're saved by grace, but then whether you build on it with wood, hay, and stubble right. or gems. So a person who was lost in sin, who is brought back onto their knees and confesses their sin and is home, mm-hmm. they're now in grace. Yes. Not because of necessarily what they did, but because of what God did through them. Okay, they're... Amen. You know, there they are, but they still got the remainder of the junk. Scar tissue. Pur- purgatory isn't a question of whether heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. Purgatory is only for those who are now saved by grace and entering into heaven. It's just that they're standing at the door of heaven covered with junk. Yeah, heaven's waiting mung. room. Yeah. 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 A, a priest, Father Mark Beard in uh, Louisiana, talks about it. It's a place to get cleaned up, to get, you know, the, the sandpaper, the bandages, the, you know, the wounds healed, the scar tissue uh, healed. Yeah. In fact, uh, again, we don't have much time left, but to, to go into a deep study of what were the Greek words here for mm-hmm. the word cover over, mm-hmm. you know, did it mean what we might hear in our English language, which is where I think the misinterpretation comes. Right. They're saved from death, hmm. which means they're no longer uh, dying as a result of mortal sin. Yes. They're now in grace, but they've got the result of their sins. Right. Which is why there's penance. While, and the history of the church has always shown the need for that. But 
this does motivate what you and I both do with our apostolates. Amen. Yeah, and basically Jesus wants us to spread the good news to the ends of the earth and share it with our brothers and sisters because how blessed we are when others have done it for us and that have helped our souls in our journey home. And uh, we need to do the same. Uh, Jesus wants us to spread the good news to the world because he wins. But St. Paul reminds us we have to run the race. The finish line's already there. Christ guaranteed it. We've got to run the race and try to bring as many people home as we can. One of the keys in this, both these passages, in neither case is James encouraging people to stand there pointing fingers at people outside the church. Right. The goal is to bring them back. Amen. Bring them back so that they can escape death and be freed from their sin. Praise God. What's that website again? Catholicscomehome.org. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for joining us, and thank you for your work. Which, which commercial should people be looking at now? looking out for? Well, I look for Epic and Movie and the testimonials and there are a variety of cities. If you go on our website, we'll show you where. And I just pray for those people who are going to see them on Secular TV. All right. Thank you, Tom. And thank all of you. God bless you. Be with you again next week.